Hey, welcome to Grace Online. I'm so glad, and I just want to tell you right away, happy Easter. Now, for many of you, depending on your situation, it may not be very happy, and so you may even wonder why we call it Happy Easter when you begin to think about the fact that Easter is the celebration of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited that you've taken some time to just spend uh, with me this morning thinking about Easter. In fact, we're going to talk about how Easter is a unique dynamic of going from horror to hope. And it's because of that, I think, that Easter is unique to the situation that we've been going through, especially with the coronavirus and COVID-19 and just all these things that have hit our culture. And I believe that you and I are poised for a unique and wonderful and special Easter. And so as we do that, let me just remind you that Easter is a time that's confusing. It was confusing for the original apostles. It was confusing for the women that went to the tomb. It was confusing to the original disciples. They had to sort this whole thing out and so they did they went from horror to hope and it was a wonderful and beautiful thing i thought it would be unique to try to do the service uh, this morning or at least the message part of the service um, at sunrise and so if you look behind me we have a beautiful eastern shore sunrise coming up and you can hear all the sounds of the forest and the things happening around me usually when i'm coming out to this area of our farm i'm headed out to a place to go hunting in fact i just heard some turkeys over that way i'm praying next week hey they'll still be there when season opens up but I've not been out here and I've never done a message this way, but I thought this would be a unique way for me to connect to you and for you and I to realize what it may have been like as the women went to the tomb that morning to look for Jesus. Now, as we think about Easter, we have to ask the question, why Easter and why is it so horrific? You know, why why is it built in such a way? Well, you know, when you look at the Gospels, which are the four different writings about um, who Jesus was and what Jesus did, and they directly relate to um, the story that we're about to celebrate today, I want you to realize that a third of the Gospel of Matthew was written just to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So it was important to the writer of Matthew. To Mark, he put a third also of all of his writing, the whole gospel, one third is dedicated to this particular portion of history and the Christian faith. When you look at Luke, a quarter of his gospel is dedicated to this specific thing. And then when you get to John, who wanted to focus more on who Jesus is than what Jesus did and said, John gives almost half Almost half of his gospel is related to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. All the events leading up to that, he talks about that. So here's the reality. It was important to the gospel writers. And so Easter should also be one of the most important things in the Christian calendar. Now, why do we call it Good Friday as we start to look at all the different elements of the Easter week? We call it Good Friday because it's the day that Jesus died for our sins. And you can't get to Easter sunrise without going first through Good Friday and the events around his death. And so when you look at Jesus' death, it was horrific. In fact, his death ought to be able to connect with sometimes the difficulties that you and I are going through, and especially people we're going through right now with this pandemic. The first thing is, don't ever forget that it was real and it was sickening. Jesus' death was real and it was sickening. A lot of people want to look back on it and try to tear it apart from only a historical narrative. And when they do that, they miss the fact that real people lived through the events of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. But that was real, and it was very sickening to them. In fact, a friend of mine recently watched The Passion again. He said, every time I watch it, I'm reminded of, wow, look 
it just it just jars him and he's like it just, I can't believe it but you know what that's what the crucifixion does it should jar you and I it should be something that really when we think about it, it should sicken us that that's what it took for the forgiveness of our sins in fact the crucifixion was the most agonizing way for someone to die when Jesus was alive the Romans had inherited this method of execution from the Byzantines and they had perfected it they had got it to the point that they use it only for the worst criminals. You couldn't be a Roman citizen and, and this particular uh, method of, um, of execution be used on you because it was so nasty. It was so horrific. <clears throat> it was meant to completely humiliate the person who was being crucified. I want you to think about this. A lot of times in the pictures that we see of Jesus, he has a loincloth wrapped around him when he's on the cross, but the reality is in crucifixion, you were stripped completely naked. You were naked. You were just bare before all people. And it was meant to completely humiliate you. And the method of your death and crucifixion was suffocation. What would happen is as they stretched their arms out across that cross, they would have their knees bent. And the person who was being crucified would go down and slump. And after they slump, they have to reach up to get air into their lungs. And they would do this over and over and over again, raking down their back, bringing it raw, which Jesus's back was already raw from the scourging that he'd already gotten. And because that they would do that, after time they would finally become so exhausted, they would collapse. And as they would collapse, they would enter finally into just complete respiratory cardiac failure, up and down. It was the most horrid way to die. And people ask, then why? I've, heard, I've seen atheists especially say, you know, it doesn't make sense that God would kill his own son for the forgiveness of our sins. What kind of loving God would do that? Well, the problem with that thinking is, is you don't understand the depravity of mankind. When I look at my heart and I look at the hearts of people, many around me, and we get very honest with who we are, as much as we'd like to think we're good people, at the very core in the heart of us is a very dark spirit. In fact, we can do horrendous things to one another, sometimes by word and sometimes by deed. And it's because of the depravity of man that God chose the most depraved way for his unique and only son to die. And that's important for us to begin to see that because it's through that process, only through a process like that, that God could truly redeem and pay for the sins of all the world. Other people have challenged the crucifixion and said it wasn't real. It wasn't real. You know, it, it's a great narrative. But in the end, it, it, you know, I just don't, I can't buy the events of it. But here's the reality. This wasn't a new idea. Even in the book of Matthew, Matthew, as he records his gospel, <clears throat> his good news, as Matthew does that, he says that the guards were paid off and instructed to tell people, even at the early, the first century, that Jesus' body was just stolen. You see, no one refuted the reality of the crucifixion that Jesus was crucified. No one refuted the reality that his body was not in the tomb. They tried to just refute or distort the reality of why it wasn't in the tomb. And even today, I, went, I saw a BBC special, British, you know, British's Broadcast Corporation, their version of PBS, um, challenging the crucifixion, saying that Jesus came back from the dead, and there's these historical pieces that show that he actually hung out with people, and that the reality is he didn't come back from the dead because of a miraculous resurrection. He just, he just didn't die, that, that somehow he came back. And when I think about this, I think about how ludicrous it is. Think, just use your head with me for a second. Let me beat you with scourging to within an inch of your life using something called a cat of nine tails. 
to flog you to the point where blood loss is, is high. They would put pieces of glass or bone or metal in this scourging and it would literally tear the flesh from your back. Some people died just from a scourging. Now after Jesus was scourged, then a hundred pound beam was strapped to his back and he had to walk one third of a mile to the place where he would be crucified. A third of a mile after being scourged. And then after that, he was on the cross for six hours, nailed to the cross for six hours. Now, here's the reality. That should kill any of us is the bottom line. But Jesus is the one that said no one takes his life at the appropriate time when the sacrifice was full, he would lay down his life for the people he loved the most, which is why he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's the one that finally said the sacrifice is full and God says payment in full, it's done. It's done. Not to mention the centurions that crucified Jesus were professionals at what they did. This wasn't just like, oh, let's go crucify someone. They did this day in and day out. They knew when someone was dead. In fact, when they pierced Jesus's side, blood and water flowed. Now the gospel writers write that, and they're not medical doctors, but medical doctors will tell you the reason blood and water would flow is that as you went into cardiac arrest, fluid would build up around the heart. And so where they pierced it, all that water came piercing out because he had gone into full cardiac arrest. He died somewhere between 30 and 33 AD, which means when the first gospels were being written and shared broadly among the people of that culture, that, that would have been between 64 and, six, and 75 AD, people could refute. They were eyewitnesses there. Like I said, it didn't happen the way you said it happened. You know, it happened differently. The guy just came back. He just swooned. He was beaten pretty bad, but he came back from the beaten. No, Jesus gave the full measure of his life. And here's the reality. It caused real grief. The horror of the crucifixion, which leads to the hope we're going to talk about, caused very real grief for the people that loved him the most, the people that had the best relationship with him. I'll never forget the first time I, I experienced grief. I was a young man, um, and I, I was about 12, 13, and I had a cousin who was a really unique and special cousin to our family, and uh, he had gotten in a car accident. And that cousin who had been in that car accident uh, was flown to uh, shock trauma and eventually to Baltimore, and they had to do surgery to try to save his life. And we all huddled around the phone that evening knowing the surgery was happening, waiting for the call. And the call came, and my dad picked up the phone, and my family was on the couch huddled around waiting to hear the news. And when he hung the phone up, he said, Stevens died. And when he said that my cousin had died, my mom stampered her feet and yelled to the top of her lungs. She shrieked and just lost it. That's the first time I saw real grief and how real grief impacts people. Don't forget, real people love Jesus. His mother loved him more than anyone. The grief was real and you see that all throughout this narrative. You cannot minimize the reality that this was difficult. For the apostles, they had put all of their hope on Jesus being the Savior that we kicked the Romans out. And reality is, is they, they, they had an idea of who Jesus was, but not a full idea. In fact, they're probably a lot like you and I. They had an idea who Jesus was, but not a full idea yet. And so it was crippling to them to think that uh, when Jesus went into the tomb, 
that all of their hopes had died. That's where they were. That's what they were thinking at that time. Mary had such a unique perspective that she watched her son and her Savior die and was confused by the whole thing. She was confused by the whole thing. Listen to the narrative of what happens that morning, just like this morning, as they went to the tomb. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They, come, uh, they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Do you sense the shift? There's a shift from the horror that they had gone to anoint the body of Jesus to finish the preparing his body for proper burial. That's where their mind was. They were in the midst of grief in the midst of sorrow, just like many of us are right now. We're in isolation, going through a lot of different things and not understanding why they're happening. That's where they were too. But yet when they went to the empty tomb and they left and they had seen the risen Jesus, their perspectives had changed and they were filled with joy. That's what Easter is all about. Here's the problem when people look at Easter as just another historical fact or another religion. They miss the fact that you know, that, that Christianity is not a teaching. It's not following just these teachings so you can have a better life. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not a philosophy, you know, just a way of living and a way of thinking, a way to find wisdom. A lot of people try to do that. Gnostics try to do that in the early church. You know, a lot of our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters today look at Judaism as just wisdom for living. That's not what brings transformation to the life and the heart of a person. It's not a practice of faith or a practice of living either. So it's not a teaching. It's not a philosophy. It's not a practice. What is it? Well, Christianity is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus. It's those that believe in his resurrection that have now gone from horror to hope. And that's why, that's why Easter demands a search. If you want hope, then you need to search the empty tomb. When something is missing, it demands a search. Hey, um, if you're a mom or you're a dad and you've lost your kid, even temporarily while you've been out shopping or you're at a, a supermarket or you're at church or, or maybe you know, you've been at a, a theme park and you've lost your kid, even for a little bit of time, the mother and the dad, especially the mom, is hysterical. They go into a frantic search. Nothing else matters. That's the way you need to treat Easter. 
in this season, if you were going through a, a horrible time, a hurt, a hang-up, you know, you, 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 you're out of a job and you're just not sure how life is going to work, here's the reality. Easter demands a search in the midst of that horror. You need to search for the hope that's contained in the empty tomb. It needs to be the priority of your life, just like a mom who's looking for a lost child. You know, when my wife loses her phone, I lose mine too. But when she does, um, I remember when we first got our Apple phones, there's this little cool little thing you can just ding it, right? And it'll it'll tell you where it is. <coughs> and I remember we were doing that. And once I figured I could do that, I know this is kind of depraved and people are like, stop being such a stalker. But if, if I call my wife and she doesn't answer it, I, I log into the Apple part of that and go ding, 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 ding. And just and, and let her know I'm, I'm looking for her. Well, you know, I know, and she's like, she wishes she could turn that feature off and that um, I had never figured out that piece of tech. But here's the reality. It helps me when I'm in most desiring to find her, to find her. Have you ever searched for Jesus that way? Have you ever given that kind of intense search? Because the empty tomb demands that. Again, let me, let me just give an example. For people that say, well, why is Christianity different from any other faith? Why does it provide hope? Don't the other faiths provide hope as well? They certainly have horror, but do they have hope? Well, let's think about that for a second. You can visit Muhammad's grave. Let's say you're Muslim. You know, let's say you're Muslim. You can visit the grave of Muhammad, just like any other prophet. Let's say that you're Jewish. You can visit the graves of some of the greatest rabbis that have ever lived. And you can read their writings, of course, but you visit their graves. Let's say that you're Mormon. You can go to the grave of Joseph Smith and you can see where he lays. You can read about the history of his life, both outside and inside of his works. Let's say you're Buddhist. Buddha was um, cremated. So you can visit his final resting place. Jesus among all faiths is unique because you can visit where he was last laid, but you cannot visit his final resting place because Jesus rose from the dead. And this provides hope. It changes our perspective. And because of that, it demands a search from you and I. And people that honestly search are transformed. They are transformed. Lee Strobel, who's an author um, who used to be the chief legal investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, Lee was so aggravated that his wife had become a Christian. He began his own search. And when he began his search, he used all of his legal training as a legal investigative reporter to search. And he searched the facts of the death, the burial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. And what he found, he listed the pros and the cons that he could find from different scholars on two sheets of paper is he just could not refute the claims about Jesus' resurrection. And in his search, even as an atheist, it was an honest search. He went from atheist to a believer to even a pastor one day. He was completely transformed. And one of the things that affected him was watching his wife's transformation happen. Because as he watched her life be transformed, he could not explain it away as a philosophy, a teaching, or just a way of life. Something had uniquely transpired in her life, in her understanding of that empty tomb. And that's the reality. Today, my friend, God wants you to go from horror to hope. Whether you've never met Jesus, whether you're investigating Jesus, or you need to renew that faith, the reality is, is that God wants that to happen. And there's no formula for that, but there certainly is an honest way to approach your investigation of it. And that people that do this are transformed and their lives are impacted by Easter. It happens here 
It definitely happens at Grace at our church. And I want to share a video with you right now of people whose lives have been radically transformed. And they're just going to share one little phrase of what life was like before the resurrection. And then they're going to share a phrase with you of how their search changed their life and their perspective of who Jesus is. Watch this video.
Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how God is still in the business of changing people's lives, of moving from horror to hope? That's what he wants to do in your life today. Whether you're a marginal Christian and you're struggling with your faith, or maybe you're someone who's never become a Christian, or maybe you're a Christian, you're sold out. God still wants to change your life. He still wants to take you from the horrors that you walk through to the hope that is only contained in the gospel and the empty news. Today, here's my challenge to you. Search no longer. Search no longer. You found the truth. Respond with faith. Respond with faith. Faith is the hope and the evidence of things unseen, but that they just resonate in your soul and in your spirit. And then replace the horror with hope. Replace the horror with hope. Listen. If you need to renew your faith, you need to establish your faith, you just need to be reminded that in the middle of all of this, God is able to change your life. Whether, again, you've never done that, you need to renew your faith, or you just need a a, a pick-me-up, so to speak, of faith. I want to pray with you right now to do that. And I want to remind you how simple it is to start a relationship with Jesus. Here's how simple it is. You admit your sin before God. If you've never started that relationship, admit your sin before God. Believe only in what Christ has done for you in his death to atone for your sins, in his burial to have victory over life and the resurrection to follow. When you believe only in Jesus and what he's done, and that's the only reason that your life has been made acceptable to God and paid for your sins, then you're forgiven. And then put your hope in the fact that he is raised from the dead and he's alive and he wants a living relationship with you. Commit your life to him in that way. If you're ready to do that, I want to pray with you right now, right where you are, right in your home. Would you pray with me? I'm going to lead you. And as I lead you, take some time to really give all of you to Jesus so that you can experience all of who he is. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for each person listening today, this morning, tonight, whenever they're listening. God, we all admit we fall short of the ideal that you have for our life. That the reality is is our hearts are dark. That they can be very black at times. And we need to admit that before you and get real with the situation around us. That God, there is a horror that surrounds us every day. 
Would you take a few moments right now, my friend, and would you admit your sin to God? Just confess to Him in this moment of silence. God, it's not enough to be real with you, to admit our sin before you. We need to believe only on the, the only solution that can cover over that kind of sin. Thank you for sending Jesus at the perfect point in time to deal with my sin, to pay for my sins and the sins of all the world. Because he's made that payment, God, he brings hope into our lives that we can not only be forgiven, but we can have an everlasting and perfect relationship with you. Would you just take this moment now and would you thank Jesus for his death for your sins and for his resurrection? God, I can't, I'm reminded just listening to the birds and everything coming alive around me, that your entire creation sings regarding what you've done for them, that you've redeemed not only mankind but all of creation, and that ultimately you're going to come again and you're going to make all things new. And it amazes us how you will do this and how you accomplish this. But because of that, God, we need to move forward with our life by committing our lives to you. Every dynamic of our life, how we parent, who we marry, how we work, how we live, how we treat one another. We want to know how to do that from your word. And so, God, we commit all of who we are to you. And in that, and then committing to you, Lord, we move away from the direction of, that we've been heading and we move only in the direction that you want in our life, in every area of our life. Teach us to walk with you every day. And we thank you for saving us and redeeming our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you, pay, if you prayed with me, would you do me a favor? Uh, whether you were praying to renew your faith or you were praying for the very first time, especially if you were praying for the very first time, there's a place on this website where you can click a connect card. The mo- one of the most important things you can do is to click that connect card. And would you please put on there, I prayed or I renewed my faith or I recommitted, whatever, whatever decision you made, would you please put it there? And the reason I think that's so important is on this Easter day on this Easter morning or Easter evening, whenever you're watching, um, once you make a decision like that, Satan's going to try to steal it. You know, his forces will come against you and they'll want to wreck your life. And here's the reality. Uh, we want to send you materials and a reading plan to help you in your new journey. That's the only motive we have. I know that if I can help you start to read scripture and understand all of who Jesus is and how he wants to direct your life, then your life will be rich and full. And so would you please connect, hit that connect card, let us know what you thought of today's service, but also give us your information and let me know that you prayed with me so I can connect with you and can help you in this new journey. Thanks for watching today. Happy Easter to you. And remember that Easter is all about taking people from horror to hope, from death to life. And the reality is, is all day today, I hope that you experience that in many different ways. Have a blessed Easter, and I hope that I get to see you soon, maybe online, but I hope that after this pandemic is done, I get to see you in person and that we can actually have a great celebration. Have a blessed Easter.